So I want to welcome you, and uh, I'm glad you're here. And before we, we start, this is really, this is going to be a talk about um, the letter Aleph, uh, the first letter of the Aleph base, and I'm calling it, um, I guess, I guess the, the title that, that was presented to me was Mysteries of the Letter Aleph, but I came up with the part after that, which is Gateway to Infinity. And um, basically, what this is going to talk about is um, the unity of all things, how everything is uh, enveloped in the oneness of God, and how you see all of this uh, in the letter Aleph itself. And so how the, the letter Aleph is actually a, um, it's a, it's a blueprint, it's a map of the cosmos, and not only that, but it's an education of how we are to um, interact with, uh, with the world and unify the world through the Torah. So you'll see how all of these different categories, it's a very, very broad sweep, is all contained within the letter Aleph and the structure of the letter Aleph itself. Now, I drew the letter Aleph for you, and um, in, case, uh, in case you're listening to this online, and you don't know what the letter Aleph looks like, it will be very important for this talk. So go to the internet and write in A-L-E-P-H, images, and you'll see the letter Aleph and you'll be able to follow along. But um, for us here, you all have a picture of the letter Aleph here, and, uh, and we're going to get into it in a particular subject. We're going we're to break it down. But before, um, before we start, uh, you know, I heard a talk one time from... Um, the then chief rabbi of Israel, uh, Rabbi Lau, he said, you can't give a, a presentation of Torah without saying something about the, the Parsha of the week. That's what he said. And it, it happens to be that there's something I really want to say about the Parsha that we just read. And it will take two minutes, but please let me say that, and then we'll get into the, the, today's official topic. So, we just read Parsha's Vayetse. And Parsha's Vayetse, Vayetse means to go out. And it's talking about um, Yaakov Avinu, our Holy Father Jacob, going out of Beersheba, where he lived, and he's going to Haran. And um, the context of the Parsha, of this Vayetse, of this going out, is that Yaakov Avinu is escaping death, because his brother is um, very angry at him, Asa, and there's a whole story behind that, but he's escaping He's escaping death to go to the house of Lubbock, who's his uncle, and that's where he's going to get married and have the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, so the Parsha begins with this Vayetse, with this going out. Now, you have all the, sort of the adventures of, of Yaakov at the house of Lubbock, and Lubbock turns out to be a very hostile presence, who basically wants to kill Yaakov as well. And so the Parsha ends with Jacob going out of the house of Laban. So there you have another Vayetzeh. You have him going out of the house of Laban and escaping death that way also. And who is he about to encounter? Asaph again, who also wants to kill him. So he also has to be saved. So what I'm trying to tell you is that the entire Parsha is replete with this notion of Vayetzeh, of going out. Now, now let's go a little bit deeper. There are, you see, when Hashem gave the Torah, and we'll hopefully touch on this a little bit later when we return to the main topic, which is the letter Aleph. When Hashem 
gave the Torah, it was given in one long utterance. One long word. In other words, the entire presentation of the Torah itself was in the form of oneness, which is the letter Aleph, because Aleph is one. It's the first letter of the Aleph base. So, so at a certain point, the Chachamim, our sages, broke up the, this one long utterance into words. You know, I'll tell you something interesting, something that occurred to me one time. The word, the word for word in Hebrew is mila. And the word for cutting, like when you have a bris, right, the circumcision, it's called bris mila. It's also cutting. So, you see, this whole long word of the Torah, when you cut it, what did you make? You made a word. Every time you cut, you made a word. So, this is just the, the, the tiniest taste of what we call Lush and Kodesh, how, how everything, is, uh, everything is contained in the words and there's tremendous wisdom in the words themselves. But anyway, at a certain point, not only was this one long utterance cut into words, but it was also divided into sections, which we call parshas, or sedras. And each sedra, at the end of the sedra, they tell you how many verses, how many psukim are in that sedra. Now, there's a reason why they probably did this, is because once they made the division of how many, of which parsha is a parsha, once they suggested what the integrity or what the unity of a parsha should be, they wanted to put down exactly how many psukim were there, so that people would know for all time what the parsha constituted. Do you follow? So that could be one of the reasons why the Chachamim indicated how many verses are in each parsha, because once they made the division itself, they wanted that to stand, and for people to understand that in terms of Masorah going forward. Okay. So there are 148 psukim in Vayetze. What did we just say? Vayetze is all about going out and being saved. Okay? So 148 is the gematria of the word Pesach. So it's interesting, because Pesach is all about being saved and being taken out of slavery and being taken out of Egypt. So you see, Yaakov is being saved from Esau in the beginning. He's being saved from Levin at the end. Okay? And he's about to be saved from Esau again. So you see how the whole, the whole Pesach is, is being hinted at over here. But now I want to go a little bit deeper. Because the last, the last word of the Parsha is this word Machanayim. Now, this is, this is interesting because, and I don't know, I didn't, I didn't study this yet, and so I can't uh, say this definitively, but my kishkas, my, my, my instincts tell me that this is probably the only time in the Torah that this happens. Which is the very last word of the Parsha, Machanayim, is Gematria 148. In other words, the last word of the Parsha has the same gematria as the number of psukim of verses in the entire parsha itself. What that says to me, if I can offer an interpretation of that, what that says to me is that the entire parsha is contained in that word. So, so, so how so? So I heard a Rabbi Sutton, Rabbi David Sutton from New York, give the following analysis. He said it in the name of someone I'm not recalling right now. I apologize, but. Something very interesting about this word. 
You see, Pachim has ends with the word letters Yud and Mem, which in terms of Hebrew grammar is a special construct. It indicates pairs. You see, normally speaking, if you just want to say something in a plural, you would maybe have the, the letter Mem at the end, right? If it's, it's masculine. So you have, that's plural. So in other words, if you have many things, okay, that's one thing. But there's a special grammatical construct if you have pairs of something. So for instance, Yedayu is hands. That ends with Yud Mem. That's not just more than one hand. That's a pair of hands. Reglayim. It's not just more than one foot. It's a pair of feet. In other words, it's more than one thing, but contained within a unit. There's an organic oneness to these pairs. Machnaim means literally camps, encampments. But what it's talking about is the heavenly host and the physical encampment of Jacob down below. And it's not just two encampments, in the plural, there's a unity, just like two hands on a body, two legs on a body. These two encampments, the heavenly encampment of angels, which is another way of expressing God, and God's supervision over us, and down below us, that is together in one oneness. In other words, what did we say, just to wrap it all up very, very quickly? By say, Yaakov is going out. He's being saved from Asa. He's being saved from Laban. This is the same gematria in the end in terms of the number of Sukim as Pesach, which is us being taken out of not just all of our troubles, but of all our personal troubles and being saved from all of our Mitzrayans. And how does that happen? Because God is supervising us directly. That's this idea that there's a heavenly encampment. And it's not just watching over us. That's the point. It's one with us. We're an aspect of that oneness. Because it's pairs like two hands, two hands on a body, two legs on a body. It's, it's organically unified. You know, the rabbi says something very interesting. When it talks about how, how... Okay, so now that's the end of that thought. Now let's get back to the official topic. I mentioned, for those of you who just walked in, that I heard Rabbi Lau speak... He was then the chief rabbi of Israel, and he said, whenever you talk, you always have to say something on this week's Parsha. So, now we'll return back to the, the officially scheduled uh, topic, but really we've been talking about it, and we've just been approaching it another way, which is the letter Aleph, and now everything is contained within this oneness. Now you see, you see, I heard Rabbi Shlomo say something very, very interesting. He said that in science, if you want to measure how high something is, you measure its distance from the ground. But when it comes to holiness, right, if you want to measure how high a person is, in other words, how holy a person is, you measure how close are they to another person. Right? So in other words, the, the spiritual highness, the spiritual greatness of a person is actually measured in their closeness to other people, not their distance from the ground, like it's done in science. You see, so when we talk about the oneness of Hashem, when we talk about that in terms of Torah, and we're going to zero in on the letter Aleph and everything like this, as just a, as, as a model for all of these teachings, it's not abstract. It's not abstract. 
it's, it's, it's got to be super real. It's got to be super real. You see, we say, when we talk about the Torah, we say, Torah Kayim. It's a Torah of life. In other words, if it's just head stuff, if it's just coming from your head, then it's just, it's, it's not real Torah. It's not real Torah. It's got to be coming from your head, and it's got to be coming from your heart, and it's got to be fused together through the vehicle of speech, words, and thoughts. And this is what creates oneness in the world. This is what reveals God's oneness in the world. So again, we're going to get to the letter Aleph, but it's very, very important that we understand all of our oneness to begin with. You see, let me just talk about... You know, I once pictured... I imagined a conversation. I always go back to this, but I always imagine a conversation between two fish. Alright, this is two fish talking to each other. So one fish says to the other, do you believe in water? Right? And the other fish says, I don't know if I believe in water. My grandfather was very religious. He believed in water. So what's the joke? The joke is that there's nothing but water. Like the fish can't live because they're in water. But, but they don't see the water because that's, that's all there is around them. You see, that's, that's what it is. All there is around us is God. God is the only thing going on in the world. 24-7. The only thing going on in the entire universe is God. One of the life-changing things that I heard, and this will sound so obvious, you know, I heard, interestingly, that, that one of the proofs, this is just one proof, because there are certain teachings that are counterintuitive, but one of the proofs, if something is true, is that after you hear it, it should sound obvious. And I heard a, a story in the name of Risker uh, Ra, and he was a super genius uh, uh, Talmudist, is where he really made his mark, and just like a, as Rabbi Green would say, a, a brain the size of a planet, right? And, um, and, and he was known for being able to take exceedingly complex things and present them in a very understandable way. So he did this with one of this, like, uh, you know, very, very complicated topics, and he presented it in a way that was very clear, and his student heard it and said, that's obvious. And he said to him, was it obvious before I said it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so the thing is, is that, the thing is, is that we have to understand how close we are to one another before we can get into the, the, the head teachings, first we have to do the heart teachings, okay? So, let's understand how close we are to one another, okay? You see, you have to understand something, which is that the, there are five parts to the soul, okay? There's nefesh, ruach, neshama, those are inside you, those are the three parts that, inside, that are inside you, and then two parts outside you, chaya and yechida, okay? Now these two parts that are outside you extend all the way up to the Kisei of Kavit. That's the throne of glory. That's like the top of heaven. Okay? Which means that physically speaking, do you think that I end at the top of my head? Do you think that you end at the top of your head? When you look at each other and you try to size each other up, is this person five foot three and this person is six foot two and this person is five foot seven? Every single person extends all the way to the top of heaven. Now listen to this. 
Another way of understanding this, and um, I saw this was in the Nefesh HaChayim, and there's a footnote to the Zohar, so, so it says the following thing, the body is the shoe of the soul. I'll say it again. The body is the shoe of the soul. So just to explain it, look at your own shoe, just like your shoe only covers a very small part of your body, so it is your body only covers a very small part of your soul. Because your, excuse me, your soul extends all the way up to the top of heaven. Do you understand? This is, by the way, why mitzvahs are so incredible and so empowering. Because each person straddles the entire universe. Because you're down below, but your spiritual reach is all the way to the top of heaven. Which means that when you do a mitzvah, you impact the entire universe, which your oneness, you yourself straddle. You're straddling the entire universe, so that when you do a mitzvah, it reverberates throughout the entire universe. That's why it's like if you're just sitting at home, and you pray, or you get tzedakah, you put a coin in the pushka, that reverberates throughout the entire universe. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. Okay, so now, now I want to take a step further, then we're going to get into the structure of the letter of Okay? Just like my body is just covering a very small part of my soul, right? What's really going on is the oneness of God right now. And all of us are soulmates. All of us are soulmates because the nation of Israel is one soul. So all of us are soulmates, which means that now I gave you a... um, a vertical construct, right? An up and down construct to imagine the reach of your own soul, right? There's your body and then your soul extends all the way up. Let's extend this to a horizontal construct right now because if everything between us right now, if we're swimming in godliness, right? Like the fish in water. If we're swimming in godliness right now, that means that it's just sort of like there's like one soul over here, in between us. And then just like a body here, a body here, a body here, a body here. But all of us are together, engulfed in this oneness. So when you meet someone else, who are you meeting? You're meeting another aspect of yourself. You know, everybody knows, everybody's favorite topic in the entire world is talking about themselves. Right? Everybody knows that. You know? But enough about you. Let's talk more about me, right? Everybody loves to talk about themselves. It's the most natural thing in the world. There's nothing wrong with it unless you do it too much. Then there's something wrong with it. But the instinct, the instinct itself is natural. But now listen to this. When you meet someone else and you're aware of these teachings and the reality of our oneness, when you meet someone else, you're meeting another aspect of you. So, when you find out about someone else, you're finding out more about you. But don't let this frustrate you. The Kutzkarebi says something very amazing. He says, when you meet someone who doesn't look like you, you're not surprised. So why is it when we meet someone who doesn't think like us, we're so surprised? (laughs) Don't be surprised. You get to find out more about yourself. 
Right? You know, the people, the people that, that are most beloved is when, when, when they meet you. I'll tell you just something about my father. My father, if he talked to you 20 years ago, if he talked to you 20 years ago, first of all, he spent the entire conversation talking about you. Right? And 20 years later, he'll ask you, how's your brother-in-law in Cleveland? <laughs> because if you're really interested in something, or if you're really interested in someone, you remember. It's not about having a good memory. It's it, because it's, it, it's touching you at a different place. You don't have to remember, because that's just head stuff. If you're really interested, and if you really love, and if you really understand that everyone is an extension of you, and that we're all one, then, you know, you remember your own birthday. So why wouldn't you remember someone's brother-in-law in Cleveland? So, so, hopefully we're just tasting a little bit, just the tiniest, tiniest taste of how everything is all together. And I'll just close it with one, just because it's such a good, just as we say, like a cash torrent, Right? that sums up all of this, but another way of just understanding it, just with a, like, a, like a handle to, to carry it. <coughs> I heard Gedaya Gurkhan say this the first time. It made such an impression on me. He says, people who believe in many gods, they say God is in the mountains, God is in the trees, God is in the flowers. Someone who believes in one God understands that everything is inside God. The whole world is inside God, and that God saturates all of existence. You see, you see, Rebbe Nachman talks about something, which is, I think, really talking to our generation. He says it's possible to believe in God, but also, and when I say God, I mean Hashem, the God of Israel, the God of heaven and earth. It's possible to believe in God, and at the same time to believe in other powers. You would think that that's a contradiction. If you believe in God, how could you believe in other powers? But I think if all of us look into our own hearts, we think that there's God, but we also think, you know something, my boss has power over me, and my kids, or my wife, or my husband, or my girlfriend, or my boyfriend, or my fiancé has power over me. Everybody has power over me. So you believe in God, but at the same time, you believe in many gods. So, really, our work, if we want to be real emestikahidim, as we say, like real, real believers, for real, for real, if you want to be for real, you have to understand that there's only one power. There's only one power. And that's the ticket to making all the breakthroughs in Torah and spirituality. There's only one power. Okay, so now, where do you see all of this expressed in the letter of. So, the first thing that I want to point out, and I'm sure what I'm telling you is a very, very, very old Torah, but no one told it to me. So until we figure out who said this, we're going to have to say I said it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is, if you look at the letter Aleph, right? You see, we have something, um, and it's all over Torah. And it's really one of the most beautiful things in the entire world. Uh, it's a fancy word in English, but I'll explain it. The word is microcosm. Microcosm means how you can have one thing, but contained in that one thing is the entire cosmos. 
And you see it in the world. Micro means small. Cosm means universe. So each thing, if you, if you look at the right things, if you have good eyes and you zero in on the right things, you'll see that there's small things that contain the entire cosmos. Microcosms, okay? So the ultimate, in my understanding, in my learning thus far, the ultimate microcosm that I found in Torah is the letter Aleph. Because it's just like we keep on seeing new things in the letter Aleph. So let's just begin with this. Abraham Avinu, Abraham, right? It's the first Jew. So look at this. You have, you see, before I, before I begin this, I guess I have to give you the most basic teaching. So the most basic teaching goes like this. The letter Aleph is actually composed of three letters. Okay? So you have a Yud over here. You have a Yud over here. And you have a Vav over here. Okay? This is the letter Aleph. It's two Yuds and a Vav. Now, we'll get more into this in a little bit because we're going to get into some of the names of God very soon. But... But if you add up these three letters, Yud is 10, and Yud is 10, that's 20, and Vav is 6, that's 26. 26 is a very big number in Torah. It's the numerical equivalent of God's holiest name, the Yud Ke Vav Ke, the name of Hashem. Okay? So, contained within the letter Aleph is a hint at the name of God. And of course, God is one, and the oneness of God is symbolized by the letter Aleph. Which means that when you break down the oneness, where do you find more oneness? <laughs> There's oneness within the oneness within the oneness within the oneness. You know, Reb Shlomo says that when someone gets drunk on Purim, you know, if you see double, really, it's just one. If you see triple, you see one. In, in other words, you're just seeing the oneness amidst the multiplicity. Okay. So now, now that we know that the letter Aleph is two Yuds and above, right? So look at who is the first Jew? Abraham. So Abraham begins with the letter Aleph. And then who comes, who are our Abos? What's the foundation of all of Israel? Aleph is Abraham. Yud is Yitzchak. And the other Yud is Yaakov. So here you have all of the patriarchs a microcosm for all the patriarchs within the letter Aleph itself. And if you ask me about the letter Vav, if you look, it says, Elokei Abraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Ve Elokei Yaakov. We say, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Vav means and. So you have Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So here you have one microcosm, the entire, the entire Jewish people contained within that. But it goes, it goes way more than that. Now I want to start to touch on two names of Hashem right now. You have the name that we just mentioned. This is the Yudke Babke, um, also known in English as the Tetragrammaton. This is the divine name of Hashem. We pronounce it Adonai. That's how, we, that's how we say it. Actually, that's not the true pronunciation, and we're going to get into that in a moment. But that's how we, that's how we say it, okay? Because we don't really have 
the true pronunciation anymore. That's what the Kayin Gadol would say in the Beis Amigdash and Yom Kippur in the Holy of Holies, and which they would say in the Beis Amigdash as well. Hopefully we'll get into that from the Marashat in a, in a little bit. But anyway, so, so you have this name of Hashem, the Yudke Vavke, and, and you have another name for Hashem, which is also pronounced Adonai, but that's actually how it's spelled. It's Aleph, Dalid, Nun, and Yud. Now, one thing that um, you've probably seen in, in uh, written down at different times in your life, in a, in a prayer book or something like that, is the name of Hashem spelled Yud Yud. Have you seen that? Yud Yud for the name of God? Okay. So that's a very common spelling of it. Now, where does that come from, Yud and Yud? And I'll tell you where it comes from. Basically, it's a contraction of two names of God. It's the first Yud from the Yud Ke Vav Ke, and it's the last Yud from Aleph, Dalid, Nun, and Yud. So you take the first name of one name of Hashem, and you take the last name, the last letter of another name of Hashem, and you put them together, and that's what spells out this name of God. Okay? But now we have to get into what are these two names of God, and what are they talking about exactly? Now one thing that you have to understand is, I see, some people get confused, and um, they think that many people wrote the Torah. Many people wrote the Torah, and they all of a sudden they've got ten PhDs, and I, please forgive me, they haven't got the merest, slightest clue what they're talking about. They haven't got the slightest clue what they're talking about. And I say that with all respect to them. But if you sit down and you actually learn, you'll see that the whole premise is ridiculous. You see, one of the things that they seize on is the fact that God is called by different names throughout the Torah. Now, let me, let's just look at me for a moment. My name is David, David Sachs. My children call me Daddy, right? People who are young, who've never met me, call me Mr., right? People who are angry at me call me a variety of names. <laughs> right? Someone who, from another country, who wants to be very polite, will call me Sir, right? Some people might call me Dave, right? Other people will make nicknames based on my last name, Saxy, right? There's... There's so many names that each one of us have. Hopefully my kids will have kids, and those kids will call me Grandpa, right? Or Zadie, or something like that. So you see, and if you think about yourself, every single one of us has so many different names that we're called by. And all of them touch on different aspects of how we're revealing ourselves at that moment, or how they understand us in that context. And you see, the same is true for Hashem. Hashem reveals Himself amidst His oneness in a variety of different ways. And so we access Him, or we describe the revelation of the moment with different, with different names. But it's all describing the same God and that one God. Alright, so now we've got two 
There are many names, but for our purposes right now, there are two primary names, two primary classifications of Hashem's name. Okay? One is this exalted, exalted name, the Yudke Vavke. Right? The other name that we want to focus in on is Aleph Dalit Nunim Nun. Alright? Now that's pronounced Adonai, but it's also spelled the same way. The other name, the Yudke Vavke, is pronounced Adonai, but its real pronunciation is beyond, 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 beyond. Okay? So now, what do these two names stand for? Okay, so Reb Shlomo put it in his masterful way, so simple. The Yudke Vavke, this infinite name of Hashem, is, has, is how Hashem reveals Himself without borders. No borders, no constraints whatsoever. This other name, Aleph Dawid Nun and Yud, is how Hashem manifests Himself within borders. Because you see, God saturates all of existence. He appears in nature and informs all of nature, which is very confined because you have winter, then you have spring, then you have summer, then you have fall, right? You have the days of the week, you have the six days of the week, and you have Shabbos, you have men, you have women, you have animals, you have plants, you have minerals, you have all of these different borders, all these different classifications, but all of them exist within the oneness of God, and God informs and enlivens all of creation. But that's the name Aleph David Nunin Yud, working within borders. Okay? Then you have God's name as it exists beyond borders. That's the UK Bubkev. And you see, both of those names are expressed within the letter Aleph. Because again, the first, the top Yud is the first Yud of the Yud Kevavke. The bottom Yud is the last Yud of Aleph Dalit Nunin Yud. So you see, there's a seamless continuity. There's a seamless continuity between God who functions without borders to God who functions within borders. Does everyone see this? Okay. So now, one of the most mystical concepts, which hopefully we're all ready for right now, and um, this is something I used to scramble my brain every time I hear this mention, because I had no idea what it was talking about. But you'll see how this is actually a very basic concept now, now that you've heard the following. The concept or the idea of unifying the name of God. Right? Like, it would just like short-circuit my brain. What does that mean, to unify the name of God? God is already one. He's already unified. There's, a, there's only God. Oh, what do I have to unify Him for? That, that's all there is. Okay, so, so now we have to get a little bit deeper. Okay? I'll give you the basic point, but then I want to expand on it. You see, you see, what we see with our eyes, what we see with our eyes is what I would, I would call multiplicity. Multiplicity is, maybe it's a bit of a fancy term, but that's kind of where I go. It means you see a lot. You see not oneness. You see more than oneness. You see lots of things, right? And so it becomes very, very confusing because everything gets broken down 
into constituent small parts. And it all gets scrambled around. Right? So that's the idea of God operating within borders. Okay? Within nature. Because you've got two things that don't look like they have any connection to each other whatsoever. And yet, what's the reality? All of them exist within the oneness of God. Okay? So this is what it means to unify the name of Hashem. It means to take this lower Yud, this lower Yud of the letter Aleph, which is the last letter of Aleph, Dalit, Nun, and Yud, God as He manifests Himself within borders, right? Like that last Yud is sort of like, that's the kind of like Hashem handing the baton to us. Right? Because that's the end of that name. That's where we begin, so to speak, with our consciousness. God hands us the baton, that last yud, and he asks us to look at all the multiplicity that exists in the world, all the scrambled randomness as it seems to express itself to us, and to bring it up to the upper yud, to the Yud of the Yud Kei which only expresses the oneness of God. And that's what we do when we make blessings. That's what we do when we study Torah. That's what we do when we love each other. That's what we do when we do acts of kindness. We take what appears to be multiplicity, randomness, confusingness, and we bring it up and we elevate it to its highest source, which is the upper Yud, of the Yud Kei So in other words, I heard Rabbi Manus Friedman say this, and it just expresses it, I think, so succinctly, everything that we've been talking about up until now. You see, there are some people who, who want to elevate an object, say. They want to elevate the food that they're eating. And by the way, what I'm about to say is not incorrect. I just want to show you that it's actually deeper than, 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 than what I'm saying right now. They'll take a carrot, and they'll say, um, they'll say this carrot is just an inner piece of uh, vegetable matter, and what I'm going to do is, by saying a blessing over it before I eat it, which is the proper thing to do, uh, in every instance, before I make the blessing over it, it's just inert vegetable matter, but now I'm going to sanctify it. Now I'm going to sanctify it. Right? So that's, that's one level. But there's a higher level than that, a much deeper level, which is that God fills the entire universe. You know what? This carrot is already holy. <laughs> this carrot is already holy because God fills the entire universe. So what am I going to do right now? It's not that I'm going to elevate it and sanctify it, because it's already sanctified, because it's already an aspect of the oneness of God. So what am I going to do by saying a blessing over it? I'm going to reveal its holiness. I'm going to reveal its holiness. Like imagine a fogged window. I can't see out of the window. All I'm seeing is like the object itself. Then I take my hand and I rub the window and I show how you can see right through it and it becomes a window to godliness. You reveal the God that's replete throughout the entire universe. 
So what are we doing with our mitzvahs? It's not so much that we're sanctifying and elevating things. That's a part of it, but it's a much smaller part of it. What we're really doing is revealing the oneness that informs all of creation. And when you do that, you're literally taking the bottom letter Yud and bringing it all the way up to the top. All the way up to the top. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, now let me tell you something else. Which is, we've been talking about these two names of Hashem. Right? The Yudke Babke and Aleph Dalud Nunim Yud. And, you know, there's a teaching from Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Kader. He's one of the greatest rabbis. And uh, he received sort of the Kabbalistic tradition through the Vilna Gaon. Okay? And he points out the following thing, which is an amazing thing. The Yud Kevavke is how many letters? It's four letters. Aleph, Dalud, Nun, and Yud? And Yud? Also four. So that's eight, eight letters, right? Okay. Now, look at the letter Aleph for a moment. Here's one Yud. Here's the other Yud. We said that this Yud is the Yud of the Yud Kevavke. And this Yud is the last Yud of Aleph, Dalud, and Yud, right? So here you have, it's in eight, eight letters, these two names, right? Here's a Yud, here's a Yud. So how many letters are left? Six, right? Right, because eight minus two is six. And here's the Vav, which is what? The number six. So here you have expressed in the letter Aleph, the complete map, the complete unity of these two names. Now, I promise to tell you how the letter Aleph is also a map of the entire cosmos. And this is also from Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Kader. You see, one of the most one of the most mysterious aspects of creation, if you look at um, Bracius, if you look at the narrative of the creation of the world, is the second day of creation. The first day, it's pretty simple, because basically it's Yom Echad, it's just the oneness of God. Okay? Maybe we can talk about that more later, I don't think we're going to have time. Um, but anyway, uh, by the way, this idea, I just want to attribute it to its source, of the top Aleph and the bottom Aleph being the first letter of the Yud Kei and the bottom uh, bottom Yud I'm sorry the top Yud and the bottom Yud the bottom Yud being the last letter of Aleph Dal Nun Yud that comes from the Chernobler the Chernobler Rebbe in the Meora Enayim okay one of the great Hasidic masters um, so the second day of creation is when everything gets kind of interesting <laughs> First day is pretty interesting too, right? I mean, everything's interesting, but what happens on the second day? Basically, you have the creation of heaven and earth. That's the first breakdown in terms of the revelation of the oneness of God. Okay, and and what you have is it says that God separated the upper waters from the lower waters. 
and he put the rakia, the sky, in between. Okay? So, so we know that the entire universe is contained within the oneness of God. Right? So, but here he says, look, here's a, a pictogram. Here you have the upper waters. Here you have the sky separating heaven and earth. And here you have the lower waters. Okay? So this is what happened on the second day of creation. It's a, it's a model. It's a model of the entire universe. Um, you know, there's... There's so much more to say, but I began by saying, I began by saying that um, that the Torah is a Torah of life. We say Torah Chaim, and it's not a, a, an intellectual exercise. It's not about we. A lot of this stuff you you have to concentrate on in order to to follow. Um, by the way, if you want to hear this talk again, if you want to review it, it's going to be, um, I put all the talks up on a website. It's at TorahOnITunes.com. Um, and if you like, you can write it down and I'll, I'll uh, write your email down. I'll put you on the, the mailing list um, and you can get a, 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 on, the, uh, on the list. Um, but the idea is like this. You see, I want to add a Torah myself. See, Rav Shlomo says the following, Rav Shlomo Karolach. You see, we have this mitzvah, men have this mitzvah, payas. Payas, by the way, you know, when we think of payas, we think of like Hasidic payas that go all the way down. But you should know that the mitzvah payas is fulfilled by just going over the, the, the cheekbone over here. So even this, as, as a... Modest as they are, <laughs> according to Jewish law, is, is payas. Okay? Um, so, so payas is, is, is the connection between the mind and the heart. See? And that's why we can't cut it. That's why we can't cut it. Because we can't sever the connection between the mind and the heart. And on that subject... By the way, why don't women have this mitzvah of payas? Because women, I think, it's the same reason why I don't think that they have this extra bit of skin that, that men have that they have to remove at birth uh, by the by the bris mila. Women, you see, all of creation, all of creation goes up and up and up and up. After man was created, women were created, which shows you that women are higher spiritually than men, but just so that the women don't get too egotistical, that's not the last thing that was created. The last thing that was created was Shabbos, because Shabbos is the goal of all of creation, right? So, so you see, I think that just as a, a side point, sometimes women, especially in today's westernized uh, democratic society, sometimes women get a little bit um, confused and alienated by, by, by aspects of the Torah, because they don't understand why are they not obligated in all of the mitzvahs that men are obligated in. And they think that they're being discriminated against. 
And the reality is, is that these things are not necessary for the rectification of a woman's soul in the way that they are necessary for a man. Men are a little bit more blockheaded than women. You know, to put it that way. We need to maintain that connection between the heart and the mind, which is why we have that specific mitzvah in a way that women don't necessarily have to take an extra step to take because they basically have it already. Um, so, just with that introduction, what I want to say is that that the upper yud, I want to say, is, is the mind, and I want to say that the lower yud is the heart. And that that vav is basically... That vav, that's, I mean, it's a million things. And basically, we have to keep those two things together. And we have to be unified, because the Talmud says that each person is an entire world. And so when you can be unified, when you can be unified, then your oneness, which is a microcosm, reverberates throughout the entire world, and the oneness of God becomes revealed through the entire world. So every single person has to unify themselves. And you have to understand something. The Rishonah Rebbe says the following thing, an awesome thing, which is, if you take the letter Aleph and you spell it out, it's Aleph, Lamed, Feh. Okay? Aleph. So let's take the gematria of that. Aleph is 1, Lamed is 30, Feh is 80. That's 111. Which means, Aleph, when it's spelled out, is 111. Which he says is what the Zohar is saying that God, the Torah, and the Jewish people are all one. So if you want to become a living, breathing, vibrant, harmonic representation of oneness, if you want to achieve oneness, you have to unify yourself with Hashem, with Israel, and the Torah. And that will complete your oneness, and you'll be able to express and reveal the oneness of God for all of the world. Thank you so much for listening.